You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is a victory post-game edition of Spits and Suds right here on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Gavin Spittle, joined by EP Ringside, Shep Shots, D-Magazines. Sean Shapiro, feeling good tonight, my man? So, uh, you know what, Gavin? It's great. I've got the, uh, I cracked, uh, I ran downstairs, grabbed a nice cold beverage for this podcast, Ooh. and uh, I'll be, uh, we'll be all shipped and everything on this before midnight tonight, and back-to-back games like that, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. <laughs> nice, nice, uh, nice frosty. That's, uh, I, I, I like to hear that. Okay, so... As far as Friday night start time, we will determine that after tomorrow's games. I believe we're waiting on that right okay. now. Um, I would guess looking at if I look at the schedule right now, right? Like Friday, we have we know that Colorado Seattle game will be the 10 p.m. game. I think it's Boston where, and Florida that might determine it. Yeah. Um, because I believe it's a, I think that's a night with, I don't know the ESPN TNT breakdown for that night. And that's obviously an impact on that. Um, I think if there's no Florida Boston game, we could get a much better time. If there is a, uh, there is a Florida Boston game, we could be looking at a late one just with the, the reality of the, unfortunately the Bruins don't win and there is, and there is that game. We could be looking at another super late one just because of the reality of the, the back-to-back doubleheader and maybe Dallas following Carolina, uh, New York again. So yeah. root for the, you, you want, you want the Bruins to uh, get the job done for, uh, so you can get an early Friday. So you can, we can get an earlier Friday night. You can enjoy the game and then you can, uh, Get some good sleep to uh, celebrate uh, closing out a series, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So first off, let's give credit to the barn. Loud Mm -hmm. and rocking early. Um, Awesome. Stars fans, you guys have been absolutely awesome in this series. Um, Everyone standing, everyone cheering. So just a great playoff atmosphere. And the game changed early with a Marcus Foligno knee-on-knee hit. With Radic Foxa, um, it was determined after review. First, they did call it a five-minute major, and that five-minute major held up along with a game misconduct and one of the Wild's best players as far as in this series, a guy that's creating a lot of activity, havoc on the ice, and scoring some goals. And Marcus Felino was ejected for the rest of the game based on the misconduct. So... I guess that's where we start because to me that set the tone of the game and uh, wanted to uh, get your thoughts. Yeah. Um, 
it was a penalty, right? Um, it was definitely, it was definitely a penalty. It was, I think you can't not call that, that, that right. penalty, but I, I, I felt that it was, I felt that this was a harsh call. I felt that, um, the fact that this was a five minute major and a game misconduct to me, this was a two minute minor, um, the play it's an awkward play. Um, if you look at, I've watched this play over and over and over again. Um, Felino is going to line up the hit. It's going to be a big, heavy, clean check to the body, but Foxa pivots at the last second. And that's what leads to the knee on knee contact. Felino's right. knee never changes. Like Felino's knee never changes direction. Never. Never, he never, he never puts it out. Like there have been, we, we, if there, we've seen people who put out knees and, and, but this was nothing like that. And it was, uh, in a vacuum, which is how you're supposed to call a game. This should have been a two minute minor now with, but we know human life and playoff NHL playoff series are not within a vacuum. The coaches have been going back and forth, jockeying for, hey, one team dives, the other team is penalized. I would say that if I coached a team that was well penalized, often penalized too. And Marcus Felino's comments after game four, whether they impacted this review or not, loom very large in my brain on this because you earn a reputation, right? You earn a reputation as someone who takes a lot of penalties, you earn his reputation as someone who complains about it. And you've put yourself in the spot where you've lost the benefit of the doubt with the officials. And I would argue, like, even if, even if say Ryan Reeves was the guy that delivered this hit, I don't think Ryan Reeves gets ejected. I think Ryan Reeves just gets the minor because Ryan Reeves hasn't run his mouth about this. Ryan Reeves hasn't, Ryan Reeves didn't, take a run at Mason Marchment at the end of game five. I think this, this penalty, um, which is not the way they should have called it, but I think that the reality is it Marcus Foligno made his own bed and had to lay in it on this one. And that's, right. that's something where that's, as if you've been in the NHL for as long as you, you've as, as, as he's been, I, I wonder, I, I do wonder if there was a conversation between uh, Felino and Dean Evison after game, after his comments about game four, because you saw Dean Evison, obviously, I talked about the stars diving before games, but Everson has been good about um, at least trying to uh, keep things tamer-ish mm-hmm. after games. And Felino went too far. Felino, I mean, Felino went too far for, and referees are a brotherhood who have each other's backs. It's the same reason that it's the same reason why um, the rules analyst position on NHL broadcasts is 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 very poor in my mind because they come from that brotherhood where so often the rules analysts just defend the, find a way to defend the call. It was just like, even, even on the uh, Turner intermission, I thought they did a really good job breaking it down and uh, had the nice visuals and everything like that. But they also had the rules analyst on there. And at the end of the day, he said, Oh, well, it's the call they should have made. And honestly, I don't think since ESPN and Turner have added rules analysts because NBC never had them. So since rules analysts have become part of the NHL broadcast within the past two, 18 months, I don't think I've ever heard the referees say, oh, they should have gone the other way. They basically have become uh, referee defenders because, and that just gives you an idea of the uh, 
fraternity of referees. And so Felino went out of his way and pissed off the fraternity and he was going to, he made his own bet on this. So yeah. now I think from a, did it change the game? hundred percent changed the game, obviously changed the game. Uh, the wild had to play the rest of the game with only 11 forwards. But if you look at, if you want to look at kind of like a cosmic karma way for things to, it's not like the power play goal that ensued was scored like in like the four and a half minute mark of the penalty. It was scored eight seconds in. Yeah. So it's one of those where even if like, if you want to play the the transitive property, it should have been a penalty. It should have been a two minute minor for Neen. The stars are still scoring eight seconds later. So right. like, it's one of those where it's definitely changed the game. It changed, it changed a bunch, but it's also, uh, uh, I feel I don't feel I don't feel bad for Marcus Felino because of the comments from the last game. I don't feel bad for some of the other things. It does. It is just also very weird. Like the NHL is so weird now, right now, where that play gets a guy tossed, but Matt Dumba never gets even actually a penalty for the hit. Yeah, on Joe Pavelski back in game one. It's it's just it, it's it's kind of Looney Tunes land all over the place. I mean, it's like just to I know we're talking stars wild, but I love Kill McCarr generational player but yes if his name is not kill mccarr he's got to be suspended through i mean he he like i was texting with a team executive from uh, a different western conference team executive after that and he was saying like michael bunting got three games for something way way less yes uh egregious than kill mccarr did mccarr should be gone for at least three games but his name's kill mccarr and it's the fact of the matter is like I know when you want to complain about officiating or talk about it, you're supposed to come with a solution and an answer and everything like that. Um, And so I don't have the solution and the answer, but I do think, I I think we need, I, I, I really think as a sport and as a position goes, we need to start like, we need to get some better definitions on what things are because there's there's like it's just like the playoff like the sliding scale from game to game like after we after after we finish this pot i'll probably turn on the the oilers la game and you'll turn that on and you'll be like oh well what's a hook in this game wasn't a hook in the early game between carolina and in the islanders like the fact that that's something that i have accepted as reality is is very frustrating when is a very frustrating reality yeah. Now, I will bring up, and I don't think anything will come of this, but Marcus Felino was suspended for two games last year for kneeing uh, Jets forward Adam Lowry. He also um, need Jacob Forcheck. Um So, I mean, like I said, I don't think a suspension is warranted and or coming um, based on what happened tonight. Foxa came back on the ice uh, fairly quick. Uh, yeah. but, but at the same, you know, at the same time, I did want to point out those facts, um, uh, from the past. Uh, I agree with you, Sean. I think, you know, I hate because the series have been so good. Seattle, Colorado, Islanders, Carolina, there's been drama in m- almost every series thus far, the new TV contract. So it's getting more exposure uh, and eyes based on TNT, TBS, and ESPN with a lot more viewers than, let's say, a CNBC where you had to go find your game. 
So I remember, or, or, or remember when there was uh we were at a time in the NBC world when games would be, there would be NHL playoff games on the golf channel. And I, and oh, I, yeah. I, I say this as someone, I say this as someone who enjoys golf, yeah. but, how, but just how hilarious is that, that you had to find the golf channel to get NHL playoff games <laughs> at, at one point. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, you know, I mean, I hate for the referees to take center stage. And, but I do agree with you. I think this has to be looked at and they have to figure out, you know, how, how can uh, we get better? I did want to bring up, and I want to highlight the stars tonight because this is all about the stars. Clearly yep. they outplayed the, the yep. wild clearly, you know, once again, the power play shines, but I did want to say the following, you know, watching in the final moments of that game, there were moments in my opinion, where the wild could have, if they wanted to, Take a run at a Stars player. Make it, you know, messy, so to speak. Set the tone for game six. But they didn't. I I think, and I'm just going to say this out loud, and this is coming from a guy who's had season tickets to the Stars for 19 years. I have a lot of pride, you know, and I love that Dallas is embracing the Stars right now. But I think some people are mixing up the word dirty with physicality. And this is the wild style, and you might not like it because your local team doesn't play that way, but this is a style very similar to clogging the neutral zone, very similar to, you know, a a defensive squad or, you know, in the wild's case of physicality or in the star's case, speed and, you know, power play effectiveness, high scoring. So I think it's a, it's a different style, but I I just personally, um, I think, do I think the Dumba hit was dirty? Absolutely. But I just don't think overall that, you know, if you look what Kachuk did the other night, that's also dirty. McCarr did the other night. That's dirty. So that was just my two cents, Sean. Yeah, no, and it's, um, it's how Minnesota plays. They're, yeah. they're trying to drag guys into, they're trying, it's how, and it's frankly how Minnesota would, will have to win. If for Minnesota to win this series, this is what they would have to do. They would have to drag a faster Dallas team into that game. And that's just the reality of it. And I, I obviously, I don't like the Dumba hit. We talked about that, but overall what the wild have done I mean, I, I I don't have an issue with with the way they play the game. It's just a reality of that's that's a style they play. I don't think it's a style. I think it's a style where at its best. I don't think I don't think a team can win the Stanley Cup the way the Wild play. I don't think I don't think it's like even if like obviously the Wild could still win the next two games and, and win this series. That's always possible. But I don't think a team in the in the twenty twenties can win a Stanley Cup the way the Wild play. I think they could win a series or two, but that that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and so it's something where those teams are going to exist. That's Bill Guerin to give him credit for how he's built thus far. He built from a spot where he had a bunch of hamstrung things where he had to really rebuild after some mismanagement before he took over. So this is, they're kind of, it's, it's, it's a weird way to say it, but the Minnesota, we always think about the rebuild, right? And it's always the, Anaheim Ducks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Ottawa Senators, the Minnesota Wild are kind of going through the active rebuild where they have a lot of good pieces, but at the same time are constructed as a team that isn't going to win the Stanley Cup unless they really change their ways. But 
at this point, instead of blowing everything up to try to, to hope for a generational talent in the first round pick, it's let's rebuild through winning and keep building. Let's the, let's have the, the Matt Boldies, the Sam Steeles of the world kind of take their steps this year and allow us to kind of, and hopefully they develop with Kaprizov from the Minnesota perspective into a core that actually will be a team where you're like, oh, that team could win a Stanley Cup. Like the Dallas Stars, you look at that roster, you're like, that team can win a Stanley Cup. The Minnesota Wild, I look at that roster, I don't say oh, that team can win. I don't think that team can win a Stanley Cup on that roster. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Can't say enough good things about Tyler Sagan in this series. It's so good to see what he's battled yes. from with injuries. Yes. And it's just, I mean, he's really taken on that Joe Pavelski role. We talked about it on Sunday night's postgame podcast. Whereas when the stars were effective, they were putting some screens, even deep screens away from Gustafson for blocking his view. I thought Sagan did a great job tonight. Just, planting himself in front of the net, very effective, moving side to side, not giving Gustafson clear looks, um, you know, scoring uh, a goal and an assist tonight. Uh, Robertson's with a goal and assist, hence three assists on the night. And it it's just great to see because, you know, one of the things is, is Joe Pavelski such a wily veteran. And when he goes down, obviously you're going to question who's going to step up for this, for the, for this Dallas stars team. It's been Tyler Sagan. I mean, this is the this is the first healthy version, fully healthy version we've seen of Sagan in the playoffs since 2014. Honestly, like 2016, obviously had the the Achilles injury, plays one game. Um, I know Tyler, kind of he's alluded to, he's gotten better at admitting it, but the I. You tear your, you get your Achilles slice the way Tyler did. It takes a long time, like it takes a long time to get your speed back. Um, even when he was playing in the 2019 playoffs, when Dallas um, beat Nashville and lost to St. Louis in the second round, he still was like, I remember watching Tyler and you'd be like, he still didn't have that speed. He still didn't have the, 
um, there's still something was missing because Achilles injuries take that long. It's, it really is. I mean, there's a reason there's an entire Greek mythology based about the injury, right? So then you have that. And then you go into the 2020 bubble where he basically played through everything that any doctor would have advised you never should have played through, through the hips, through the shoulder, through everything. And he thought his career might, he, he, he thought his career might've been over. Honestly, he, he, I think he admitted that earlier this season in his, in talking to uh, Dave, uh, to uh, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com when the stars were in Toronto. And then last year he's playing his first year really back from that injury plays all 82 regular season games, but he's still got a bit of that. He still wasn't, he was still slower. He was still like, he was still a bit of a passenger this past season. He gets a full off season, comes into this season, fully healthy. This is the first time we have seen Tyler Sagan fully healthy in almost a decade in the postseason. Like that's crazy to think about, right? Like it's because like we think like, oh, 2016, that Lindy Ruff team, that team was seven years ago. That's, I mean, it's crazy to think about time passes. Like, so we're seeing Sagan healthy. We're seeing him there and and Sagan is doing something. And I wrote this in, in my kind of post-game observations that I posted on, on Shap Shots before we, we hopped on this pod. Tyler saw that 2016 year where Tyler only played one game in the playoffs, uh, very Joel Erickson Eck like what happens with Erickson Eck with the wild in this series, ironically enough, uh, there's an alternate reality where the stars are potentially winning the Stanley cup in 2016. Everyone obviously blames Carlette and Antti Niemi for the, the disaster in game seven against the blues, but a fully healthy Tyler Sagan in the prime of his career at that time, he would have made a difference in that seven game series. Maybe that series doesn't even go seven games. Maybe the stars win. And who knows in that series, like I think Dallas would have been a good matchup against San Jose. And then who knows what happens against Pittsburgh in the Stanley cup final. I know that Tyler knows that the reason Tyler played through the injuries he had in the bubble in 2020 was he knows how limited cups are. He won one as a rookie. He got a little bit like he's admitted this. He got a little bit jaded about how easy it was to win. And now he's learned as he's gotten older, how difficult it is to win. And he was not going to let an injury to Joe Pavelski be the reason the stars season came to an end. And that is an onus that Tyler Sagan has taken and really run with. He's take, he stepped into, into Pavelski's role on the power play, which he was able to do much quicker. Um, I thought, I still think there's a lot to be, I, I think there's still a lot to be done from a star's perspective at five on five, but yep. I thought that there was some progress there tonight. I thought, um, particularly in the third period and I pulled the clip of it or the, pulled the screen grab of it to run it in the third period, uh, Robertson and Sagan, um, ran the little pick play that the Colorado avalanche have made famous, um, now the, the little it's it's interference. It's technically against the rules, but <laughs> referees don't call it. The Avalanche have done it for like the Avalanche run. You know, you know, it's funny. Like the start, like the start, like uh, every team cheats in their own way. Some yep. teams are are cheating at different ways than others. The Stars, for example, um, one of the things the Stars do, and they're the best faceoff team in the league. And there's not, and it's not, and, and it's not a coincidence. The stars have a tendency, um, Foxa and Sagan, um, uh, Fox in particular actually is a really bad offender at this. The stars have a tendency to drop to their right knee really quickly on the face off to tie it up 
and when plays back. Um, it's something that technically I, I like other coaches have complained about the stars doing all the time. The stars cheat on faceoffs a ton. They're the best at it. They lead the league and fa- they led the league in faceoff centers. They've killed the wild on faceoffs this year. And part of it is because they bend the rules. They break the rules. Radic Foxa cheats on faceoffs. Tyler Sagan, um, it goes back to a faceoff technique he actually learned from Rich Peverly a long time ago. Sagan has this like kind of swivel. This is one of those where like a, like someone sent us the clip, Gavin, of uh, of the, the TNT channel bit breaking down the Reeves hit. Mm-hmm. Or not the Reeves hit, sorry, the Felino hit. Yep, so the Felino hit, yeah. yeah. The Reeves hit, but the Felino hit. And this is one of those where like I'm, I'm doing like body motion as we're talking. I almost wish <laughs> I love it. See, like, I love it. Like, like Sagan on every Sagan has this uh Sagan on faceoffs is so quick kicking his right foot in. And it's a technique he learned a while ago from Rich Peverly, where he kicks his right foot in, brings it in, and basically kicks the others the stick out from the opposing center, and then uses that to, to win the drawback. Well, I he taught that to Ty Delandria. And Ty Delandria has become a very good faceoff play, player. And so it's it's the stars cheat in that way. And that's okay, every team cheats in certain ways. The Avalanche run this little pick play better than anyone else in the league where it's basically almost like an NBA-style pick and roll where a handoff and one guy picks the other guy and it frees up a shot. And in the third period, Robertson and Sagan ran that play in the offensive zone, basically, where Robertson had the puck, left it for Sagan, and Robertson, with his size, basically picked two wild defenders to set up a clean shot for Sagan. It's the type of thing where that's the type of play where you're starting to see some chemistry with Sagan and Robertson. And, 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 and I think Hintz doesn't need, um, I think Robert Robertson has missed Pavelski more than Hintz has. Hintz can play more of that flash and dash solo game where Robertson needs someone to play off of. And it just took him a couple games to really get there with Sagan and still some work to be done at five on five for sure. I mean, the only five on five goals tonight were, it was, it's, it's funny because it's Marchment. There had been, had been a long shift and Marchment took Robertson's spot on the ice and scored where Robertson probably should have been. Uh, <laughs> that's the only five on five goal tonight. And then obviously the Landry goal is technically an even strength goal, but it's an intempting net, but it's still work to be done at five on five, but you're seeing there was a lot of seeds for really good things going forward. And I, on the flip side, Minnesota, they took the penalties and you look at them and I, barring a Kaprizov, like barring Kaprizov waking up and Gustafson going all world in game six, it's, it's, it's going to be a really somber flight to Minnesota right now, because you're looking at a really tough spot going and going home right now um, with, with how Really, like this was a four nothing game, but it felt like eight nothing. Honestly, yeah. it just felt it felt that lopsided. I never felt as though the Wild had any kind of sustained pressure on Jake Ottinger tonight. I mean, kudos to him for his second playoff shutout, but it's it's not like uh, the previous game where he stood on his head, uh, made some good saves, well, but didn't. And it, this is actually wild, pun intended. I didn't realize this until someone that was the first shutout of the postseason for any goalie in the playoffs. Really interesting. Like, I, I didn't even realize that. Like, I I mean, I guess I could have looked at the scores and I would have been able to figure that out. But if you had told me we'd make it to game, I don't know, 38, 39 of the playoffs, whatever it is, right? Like, and do we still haven't had a shutout yet? Like, that that surprised me. And it, it's, 
it was kind of the most boring shutout ever. I mean, Minnesota's best chance, right? Was I don't even know did he, I don't even know who he got credit for a shot on goal for. It was the Sam Steele breakaway in the first period yeah. where he missed the net. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would think the league's on notice right now. I mean, they already knew about Jake Ottinger, but Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they now specifically know about Jake Ottinger and his name will be mentioned when it comes to if the stars move on, one of the series key factors. Little stat to throw at you, Sean. Teams that win game five and take a 3-2 series lead are 51-18 and 18 as far as winning the series, 739 win percentage. So hopefully yeah. the odds are in the Stars' favor. It looks as though um, they are. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. couple questions heading into the next game. If you're Dean Evison, do you think about Flurry? Um... Now I do. Now I honestly do because Gustafson had his moment in game one. He obviously won game three, but he's just been kind of pedestrian. And if you talk about a guy who has come in, brings energy and has stolen games in his career. And if he's not, if he ends up going to the hockey hall of fame, which is possible, it's because of that it's flurry. And so I do for a team needing something um, like I thought when they went to flurry in game two, they were fixing the wrong problem. When they went to flurry in game two, Gustafson is the calmer goalie. Flurry is the more controlled chaos version of a goaltender. Um, and so I thought when they went to Gustafson, when they went in game two with the series lead, Minnesota needed calm. Now, with how much the stars have been living and thriving on the calm the past two games, I I, I think you could live with a little chaos in that. I think you could live with flurry. I think you you're at the spot where you throw everything at the wall and sees what sticks. And I would I would heavily consider it because I I think the stars are starting to the book changes, right? Every NHL team has a, has a book on goaltenders and everything like that. Um, even Andre Vasilevsky, which we saw, it was, this is a big hubbub on, on Twitter last night because, uh, or yesterday, whatever day it was where, um, Derek Lalonde, who's the coach of the Detroit Red Wings was, is on the panel right now for Sportsnet, And he thought he brought up how the lightning a long time ago, did a study and realized that uh, Andre Vasilevsky does not is not great on point shots from the point, and it was brought up a big like hubbub on Twitter about it and everything like that. But it it is just kind of further proof that like even the best goalie in the world or who is there's a book on him, and so I think there's a space for you're the wild. The stars have been figuring Gustafson out. There's a natural shooting way you handle things and you throw a wrench into the system and see what happens because I don't see the solution lineup wise. It's not like putting, I don't know. It's, it's not like putting 
Alex Goligoski or Oscar Sundquist in are going to change anything. I mean, it's not like it. It's not like anything like that is going to change. So I think Flurry is maybe that break glass in case of emergency start, and you see what happens. Yeah, you keep mentioning the book, so I know you're getting me to plug your book. So <laughs> the book is called "We Win Here: The Definitive Essays You Need About the Texas Stars." It's a great book. Just, it's getting great reviews. Sean dropping those subtle hints, uh, just like he tried to ruin the stars in this series earlier when he says, when the stars win this series and got all the wild fans and bulletin board material. So I, I get you, man. We're getting to know each other. We spent the whole season together. I understand when you're dropping book mentions. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking about books in general, but I, 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 like, when you, I, like, I like what you're picking up. I know. I, hey, man, I don't mind plugging it. I don't support in the cause. Absolutely. Okay. And honestly, and yeah. honestly, and honestly, with it's with some of the other animosity and heatedness I've seen around this series, I feel like we've gone relatively unscathed. Like, I, 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 I made an assertion about who I thought would win and definitely ticks the people off. But like, I feel, and I think part of that is because we've done a fair job in covering it. I feel like, I feel like if you're a wild fan listening to this, I don't think you could say we haven't been fair to what's happening. I think that, uh, I mean, I'll pat ourselves on the back. I, I think we've done a good job of, uh, just reporting the story as it should be told. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's one of the things I wanted. And one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast is just an objective opinion. You know, like for instance, when the hit took place tonight with Felino, um, I wanted to, I took a step back and I love the TNT slash TBS description where they actually physically showed how the hit happened. And, you know, then you look at different things because I just didn't want to just fly off and express my opinion without hearing from former referees, without hearing from, you know, former players in the NHL. So I try to take a step back and I just want stars. No, obviously, both of us want the stars to continue to win. I want this town to be a buzz. But, you know, I'm also I'm going to express my opinion and hopefully you can understand that I'm not just throwing it out there. It comes with some, you know, uh, factual takes from other people within the league, just like you, Sean. Um, so yeah, I think we've done a, I think we've done a pretty nice job. Okay. Pete DeBoer sat Colin Miller tonight for the second straight game. The question is on Friday night, if you're Pete DeBoer, Sean, do you put Colin Miller back in? Uh, I I mean, if I'm, if I would, if I'm Pete DeBoer, but I'm, I don't think Pete DeBoer will, um, I would put him back in because, and we've talked about, we've talked about Joel Hanley quite a bit where I think Joel Hanley is a, understands the seventh defenseman role better than most. And he can play that role and he can step in. Cause I think for lack of a better word, I think you don't want to lose Colin Miller. I don't, I think. I think Colin Miller is a player that is at risk of if you sit him three games, sit him four games, sit him five games, and then in a world where you're in, you need Colin Miller in game four of the next round, he's someone who needs to have been playing where Joel Hanley is someone who plays the same game either way. Joel Hanley played 10 minutes, 40 seconds tonight, right? Miro Heishkinen played 28, 20. Yeah. It was and now I think part of that was 
I think part of completely unleashing the load of allowing Miro to play 28-20 had to do with the fact that there are now two days between games. So it was a perfect time to do it. Um, so I think that definitely had something to do with it. But Colin Miller can do what Joel Hanley did in 10 minutes and 40 seconds, and he can move the puck a little bit more too. So I would I would bring Colin Miller back in for game six. I think there is a... Not this is not a slight against Joel Hanley. I think it is a reality of you want to keep as many guys involved as possible because you're going to have you're you're going to have. I mean, they've made it clear Nils Lundqvist is not playing for them. They, yeah, they, they've made it clear unless unless two defensemen get hurt, Nils Lundqvist is not entering the lineup. So i i would I think you don't want to be in a spot where you create a situation where Miller, you lose Miller as well. So I would bring him back in for game six. Um, Cause, and even if he struggles, you can only play him 10 minutes. It's fine. Right. I, I, I would also, the other interesting thing about how the stars handled ice time tonight, just while we're on that subject, right. Um, It's to me, it was, I thought it was a really, it was a masterclass in energy cons- conservation for everyone on the lineup aside from Miro Hashkin. And obviously 2820 is a lot, but like not a single. So Sagan played 17. I'm looking at it right now. S- Sagan played 1713. That's the most of any stars forward. Evgeny Dadanov, who I think continues to have a great impact. Boy, does like he if, ever. If I told you Dadanov only played 1348, would you believe me? No. But like, like just the, the impact he's had at th- and like, and then Foxa, right? Foxa played 1155 tonight, right? Like if I told you that and you think about watching the game, you're like, there's no way Radic Foxa played less than 12 minutes. Yeah. There's no way. But I thought the stars did a great job of spreading the ice time around. Um, seeing Jason Robertson at, uh, at six, just around 16 minutes. Like I thought that was like I, little things where in the third period, when the uh, when the stars had the lead, they were able to just really conserve things and 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 work for the marathon, not the sprint. Um, it's going to be the interesting decision that will that will come for the stars. And we talked about Colin Miller, but it's going to be interesting to see how on where they go with the. Uh, on who comes out when Pavelski does come back in, because um, obviously when Pavelski comes back, we'll come back in and we'll add some offense right away. But there's been some, the the stars fourth line. I mean, obviously there'll be a trickle down. Someone will come out like Boxa is the fourth line center. Yeah. And I thought he was good on yeah, penalty kill and everything. Yeah. But, good, but it's like good job defensively tonight by Foxa. But like, I don't think people realize the impact Luke Lendenian is having in his very short time period. Like tonight yep. he was like, I'm looking at it right now. He won nine of 11 faceoffs killed. He was on the ice for two thirty six shorthanded. Like he's someone who is just really unheralded in what he's been doing down deep in the lineup. He's actually got one of the few even strength goals. The stars have in this series too, obviously, but it's kind of lost because it came in, in, in one of the losses in Minnesota, in the loss in Minnesota. Um, it's it's a good problem to have because you're going to yeah. need lots of you're going to need uh, on a deep run you're going to need multiple bodies. Um, I think Kiviranta would be my 
I mean, I, I would it, think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I would think so too. I, I would think so too. Um, yeah. that's definitely that that would definitely be the trickle down, I think. Um, and uh, th- that's kind of how things would go, but uh, yeah, I. I, I would hope to see Colin Miller back in just for concept of long-term sustainability for this defense, because I think you can take Joel Hanley out and you could put Joel Hanley back in for the next game if needed, and it won't change his game. I think every game Colin Miller doesn't play, you start to lose the most effective Colin Miller. So I hate to give you a homework assignment and... <laughs> You don't have to get back to me by Friday. Maybe you can get back to me in June, July. But as I'm watching Evgeny Dodonov tonight, all I kept thinking of, and even on the local broadcast, they were talking about how in just a short time, the teammates love him in the room. Five Mm -hmm. teams. And I just, you know, if he's not a problem in the room, I'm I'm just, I'm so curious because I look at that skill set and I say, wow, you would think a team would want him for a couple of years. Like, if I'm Jim Nill, I'm looking at the cohesion of that Johnston, the Donoff-Ben line, and I'm like, I need to keep that together in the offseason. You know, maybe you can get him for a one-year. Maybe it has to be a two-year. I don't know. It's just, I'm, I'm curious if you talk to some league execs what their thoughts would be and why he's been so well-traveled. Yeah, I, I do think just, and this is the, there is an element of it's not about the room. I think it has nothing to do with the room. I think it there is an element of, and this is nothing against Dodonov, but it's just the reality of it. There are certain guys who want to get paid more. And and just and, and I'm not saying and, and like I, I think that also comes into play too, where Dodonov signed being on a five-year or sorry, three-year deal worth five million per season that he signed with Ottawa, like kind of he kind of got himself cap crunched out of Ottawa. Uh for that he was in kind of left Florida because he was gonna he left Florida because he wanted more than the he wanted more than the the four million that, that he had with there. So I, I think there is I think sometimes when a guy moves around, there may be a difference of how a guy handles his business when dealing with the GM versus when he's in the room. I think I think that's something that we kind of have to think about as well. And there's nothing there's nothing to be held against that. Like for example, um, in this series, a great comparison is John Klingberg. Um, John Klingberg is a guy who is great in the room. You would want him as your teammate, no matter what, never even last year when he was dealing with the the contract stuff and everything like that, never let it impact his conversation with his teammates or anything like that. But Klingberg wanted to get paid like Seth Jones. He wanted to get paid big. He, he, that was important to him. And even I always go back to when Essel Lindell got his big contract um, which probably ended up being a bit of an overpay, but honestly, if not for COVID, it probably wasn't an overpay. Like the S. Lindell contract's a weird, like it's hard to look at that one without applying the COVID slider that made it a flat cap. Um, but when Essa was negotiating his deal, Klingberg went out of his way to reach out to Lindell to tell him to get as much as you can. 
because Klingberg's thought process at the time was he helped Essa get paid. Essa got paid big. It would get him a bigger deal in the long run with Dallas. Obviously, it didn't work out that way because he kind of he ended up leaving money on the table by betting on himself and failing. But that's some players when it comes to like, why did um once again, it's funny how everything connects to this series. I mean, Max Do- Max Domi's been on a lot of teams too. And Max Domi has been, I mean, you listen to every interview with Max Domi. I mean, he is heralding this team. He is all oh. about the Dallas Stars in the room and playing with Jamie Benn well, and, he, you yeah, know, Rope Max, Hints and Max, Max Domi's issue is he doesn't play defense. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just call it what it is. Like Max Domi's issue is he doesn't play defense well enough. And so it's, it becomes when it comes time to invest, um, if you're the Chicago Blackhawks who are actively tanking, it's an easy investment. If you're the Arizona Coyotes, it's okay. Uh, so, but if your team trying to win and Max, you have to have the right fit for Max Domi. And so I think he can, it's nothing with his personality. It's just his play. We know hockey coaches tend to be more conservative in their views of the game. A guy who doesn't play defense doesn't hold as much value to stick around. So like, that that's that's the case with Max Domi, where I don't think anyone in that room is like, oh man, we don't want this guy around. It's more so it's more so coaches thinking this guy doesn't play defense. What's he gonna if he's not gonna play defense, why do I want him? So Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. And I think that's one of the things to get back to Sagan that I've been so impressed with that he's really oh, yeah. changed yep. his, you know, become a better two way player as he's gotten older and kind of transformed his game and uh, you know, much better in the face-off circle, and you know that that's what's so impressive about the development of uh, uh, of uh, Tyler Sagan. So, all right, Friday night. Hopefully, it's an early game, Sean. But at the same time, you know, once again, you're a beast. Oh, by the way, I did want to throw out. You mentioned John Klingberg. I think he's had a really strong series for the Wild, and I say that as a pending UFA. Um, mm-hmm. I think some teams will look at him, and it probably won't be the deal that you know, he has always wanted, but at the same time, if I'm a team and I mean, I see a drastic difference from the John Klingberg in Anaheim for obvious reasons. And the John Klingberg with this Minnesota wild team. I, I wonder, and I, I don't say this just because obviously it's another team that I've covered closely, but it, but it's just a reality of seeing the moves they made at the deadline and, and, and their Swedish connection. I, I really wonder if he ends up in Detroit, be a nice fit. Because of, because the Red Wings traded away Philip Ronick, who was a right-handed D. Um, they have a lot of a lot of guys to the left, but like they gotta they need to find like two to three right-handed defensemen across their entire system this year. And so you talk about a team that has uh, a high Swedish contingent in Detroit and a team that has a need at the right-handed D and has cap space to get him a bit more of the money that he left on the table by not signing a long-term deal with Dallas when it was on the table. So I, I wonder if we see, because I, I don't think, I don't think Klingberg is going to get the money in the term from a contender. I, I just, I don't think um, if he wants to go to a contender, it's going to have to be a short-term deal. If he wants the long-term deal where he and his family, they have two, he's got two, he's got two young kids. Now he actually is a Dallas John Klingberg is actually still a Dallas resident right now. So like this was a road game for the wild, but John Klingberg um, is still has his owns his house in Dallas. And li- 
John Klingberg had spent more time in Dallas than he did in California and Minnesota in the past two cal- calendar years. So, yeah. um, I think, I think a contender to make Klingberg fit is going to have to be a shorter deal. If he wants the long-term deal, I think that's where some of these teams who could look at him as a part of the bridge to the future could be, he could, he could be a fit there. I think he signs with Detroit and it's similar to a Wyatt Johnston, Joe Pavelski thing. (laughs) Klingberg moves in with the Shapiros. I mean, it makes sense. He's close, you know. I, I mean, you got youngsters. I, 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 he's, you know, similar to Wyatt Johnson. Maybe he's closer to their age than you. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> I know you're not. I know you're not. I know you're not. I, I, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm not that old. Uh, uh, I do have a, I, I do have a guest room, but uh, with John made seven million dollars this year, so he can, he's good. Uh, I, I'm sure he's. Uh, I'm sure uh, wherever he ends up, he'll be able to he'll be able to buy in the nice part of town. <laughs> All right, the book's called "We Win." Here it covers the Texas Stars. The AHL has some great stories in it. Talks about why it matters. Uh, he writes for D Magazine. Had an article out today on Jason Robertson. Uh, he writes for Shap Shots. He writes for EP Ringside. He's also what we call the beast here at Spits and Suds. So for those wondering, we will try to get Craig Ludwig off the couch and we'll preview this uh, Wild Stars game on uh, Friday night. So that's going to do it for post-game number five. Yes, post-game number five. All these late nights, Sean Shapiro, as always, on behalf of all Dallas Stars fans, thank you for staying up with us. You're awesome, and we will talk to you on Friday, hopefully early evening. That's the part where you say thanks, buddy. <laughs> I didn't know if it was. I didn't know if it was a. No, it's okay. Closeout. It's okay. I didn't, I didn't know. If, I didn't know if it was a hard closeout. Or Dang, what, man, was, uh, I'm plugging the book tonight. I feel like no, I'm on my game. I, I, you know, I, I didn't know, but it's uh, it's been fun, and uh, honestly, Gavin, this has been it's been it's been great to just kind of after each game to sit down and just get thoughts out about it. I agree. It's been fun exercise and we get to do it for, you know what, by winning tonight, by the stars winning tonight, they guaranteed at least two more of these potentially even more. So it's, it's, it's a good night for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's an adrenaline rush. And uh, thanks to all of you. We're getting the podcast numbers in and all of these post games are finishing in the top five, as far as all time downloads for spits and suds. So we appreciate it. You know, it makes it exciting for us to come in after games and do this when we see the download numbers. So thank you, Stars fans, and thank you, NHL fans, for listening. So we will talk to you later in the week. I'm Gavin Spittle. He's Sean Shapiro. Once again, the Dallas Stars go up on the series three games to two Friday night in Minnesota. Here we come right here on Spits and Suds.